This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. What's your favourite place to get a fast food meal combo? Mm, great question. Thank you. Um, I do, look, I don't mind a McDonald's, I'll be honest. KFC mm-hmm. if I'm drunk. Um, those are probably the, the top two for me. Two little family businesses that I like to support. <laughs> Mark Donald's. <laughs> and I like a Hungry Jack's. They have the the veggie burger. And um, you can find links in the show notes to deals for KFC, McDonald's, <laughs> and Hungry Jack's. Head there new now. New patron and, just uh, dropped. Yeah. <laughs> new, new sponsor deal. Use promo code FRIENDLYJOURNEYS <laughs> to get it. Delicious discounts at your favorite mm. junk food outlet. Yeah, Unless, of yeah. course, it's bad for my health, in which case I won't do it. Well, I've got some news for you. You're going to hate this. Tom. No. Um, we learned this week from the Teals junk food bad. <laughs> Did you see their press conference? I just saw the I just saw the setup for it. I saw a table. I saw lots mm. of products. I think I knew that the Teals were involved, and I thought, oh god, here we fucking go. I think surely the question everyone is asking, because this is, yeah, like the Teals, it was Sophie Scamps that was leading this, but I think Monique and one of the other ones, maybe it was Allegra, who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all the same. Uh, they were lined <laughs> up for this press conference and they, yeah, they have all the junk food laid out uh, where they were announcing their bill. They were announcing the, what's their bill called? Something about kids, health of our kids, something bill. Healthy kids. Um, and it's about cracking down on The no junk food. fun bill. The no the fun, yeah. Fun police the, to, enforcement bill. Mark DiStefano in the Australian Financial Review, uh, wowserish bill. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Uh, but it's, yeah, cracking down on junk food advertising on TV and like sponsorship of sports teams. Yep. But I mean, the question on everyone's lips, I suppose, is what happened to this junk food after the press conference? Because they've got donuts, they've got like a full, like a Happy Meal, they've got burgers, they've got all this stuff sitting out on a table. And surely, I mean, because they're not like they're not going to want to be seen eating it afterwards, right? <laughs> but they're obviously they're meant to be teals. Do they really want to be seen throwing all of this food into landfill in the garbage? What do you think happened? Why did they need the props? We all know what junk food looks like. Why did they need to buy all this food to show Because of our twisted, sick, media, (laughs) click-driven system, Tom, where they need the visuals. And also it was advertising. I think it was like... It was looking well, at me like, oh, yeah, burgers, I, they're quite tell nice. You, I looked at that and I was like, oh, a donut would be kind of nice. I might swing past Macca's. Hmm. I saw Great that picture idea, all over Twitter and I got kind of hungry. <laughs> <laughs> i got to tell you. Now, we should clarify that we like, I mean, the Greens have been talking about advertising, uh, banning advertising for mm. junk food for, for a long time. I, I, yeah. I think it's, I thought it was, I, initially I thought it was something like, um, a sugar taxi stuff. On, Me uh, too. On, like, I thought it was a taxi like, thing, but it's not taxi, tax thing. Taxi stuff. <laughs> uh, but it is about advertising, which we've said like that's better than something like a sugar tax. I can't remember yes. what episode it was, but we spoke about a sugar tax in one episode and about how, you know, these kind of flat or regressive taxes, these consum- consumption taxes are bad. They disproportionately yes. impact poor people and they're not yes. as effective as yes. just cracking down on advertising, for example. So, yeah, we've been, Green's been pushing on this for literally like, I, I saw a speech on it or a bill that we did in 2011 about right. pretty much exactly the same stuff that this bill is looking to do. And it's like, sure, but I think it's also increasing one of 
increasingly one of those things where I'm like, oh, the teals are just doing what the greens were doing 10 plus years ago, where we would never now prioritize a private member's bill, I fucking hope, on, um, you know, federally on junk food advertising because, like, we've got bigger issues to deal with. And, and we also would have bought all the burgers and stuff because they're all vegan or whatever. Like they would go against us. Yeah, totally. Exactly. That's the main thing. I thought it was kind of fucked up that they were supporting those corporations. <laughs> they want to build their profile. We want to build more homes. They care more about TikTok than housing stock. They should be bloody ashamed of themselves. They have no social conscience. And that is the truth of the matter when it comes to the Greens. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse Podcast. <laughs> Serious Danger. Hey, well, if, this is Serious okay. Danger. I'm doing it, Tom. Me. This is Serious Danger, no, a podcast a about talking. green politics. Shut up. In Australia, this is not an official Greens Party podcast. Whatever Tom or Friendly Geordies tells you, it's made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. And this week, episode 80. Wait, I'm Emerald. Did I say that? I'm Emerald. That's Tom Ballard. Hello. This is my podcast. No, <laughs> this is Emerald Moon's unofficial Greens Party podcast, <laughs> and it's episode 80. I don't, I mean, I guess every 10 episodes is an occasion to celebrate. It's exciting. Um, we are talking this week about what the government's trying to do with the nature repair bill and why we're being so obstructive on that and everything else, mm. uh, including housing. We're talking to Max Chandler, May the Boy, Wonder Boy. Max Chandler, Max Chandler Smith. Smith, apparently, according to <laughs> Labor MP Rose Jackson, who posted a video about how angry she was at the Greens for delaying mm. the housing bill and uh, could not get Max's name right, which did seem a little... She said Max Chandler Smith on a multiple times. I was like, how how close of attention are you paying to this? Debate? Surely it was intentional. Ooh. I don't know. You don't need to learn his name. He's just a stupid student politician. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Huge thanks to all the people who've got on board, patreon.com forward slash seriousdangerau for just three bucks a month. You get our bonus content. You support the show. You help us pay our producer and do nice things. Thank you to Irrational Fear, who are now a patron of our show. That is Dan Illich, mm-hmm. a good friend. Thank you very much, Dan. Shout out. Daniel, Ronan, Emily, Josh, Nick, Dylan, Kemble, Lucy, and Matt. Champions. Look at you all. We- so good. Thanks. Welcome to the party. We've now got 575 people chipping in some cash of some kind or other um, to help support Serious Danger exist as a uh, podcast and to flourish and to, mm-hmm. co- to compete in the broadly lefty media uh, environment. Um, it's us, the friendly Geordies. Mm. You way. will each be getting a free McDonald's Happy Meal <laughs> this week. Thanks. With little Tom and Emerald toys. That's good. Oh, we should do that. Mm. Can we make toys of us? I think so. In the bleak midwinter. Australia's federal politicians have swapped their suits for formal wear for Canberra's annual midwinter ball. The event is a chance for politicians and the press gallery to let down their hair and mingle. In the bleak midwinter. Emerald, I love repairing nature. I love nature Mm. and it's a little bit broken at the moment, so I'd like it to be repaired. Mm, repaired. Why the hell would my political party of choice, the Greens, be standing in the way of the Labor government who wants to repair nature? That's nuts. Mm. Well, the Greens fear that they may not be the wolf of Green Wall Street 
I guess, maybe the concern. <laughs> I don't know, something about I'm trying to work something in there. We're <laughs> 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 talking, of course, about the nature repair market bill, the government's bill, which I thought, so I thought that it was us that had labelled it Green Wall Street because it sounds so bad. And then oh. I found out it's actually Tanya Plibersek yes. called it Green Wall Street. No, they think that's good. They want they that. They think that's yes. good, yes. which is incredibly awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a bill about establishing a market for biodiversity credits. We'll get into the detail of the bill, but the reason that it's relevant is because this week we have again found ourselves in the balance of power in the Senate um, on this bill because the coalition decided that they don't want to support it anymore. Oops. Oops, we got some power influence. Oopsie daisy. Um, It's a bit another funny one with the coalition backflipping. I mean, you start to wonder if they do just want to put us in in the balance of power on more and more bills because they love seeing the Greens and Labor fight. Who knows? I'm sure there will be some people who would be hypothesising that. Um, But in in late May, this is from the, The Guardian, in late May, the Nationals leader, David Littleproud, told The Guardian that the bill was basically verbatim our legislation saying he was, quote, proud of the fact that it stood the test of time of a changing government. But then fast forward less than two weeks or about two weeks later, um, <laughs> Little Proud told the lower house that Labor's bill had, quote, diverged far too far from the one that the Morrison government introduced in February 2022, claiming it was no longer about rewarding farmers for the stewardship of their land. Yeah. So this is really like... It's just breathing some new life. It's a, it's reworking the coalition's own proposal mm. for a market for biodiversity credits or certificates. But now, yeah, the coalition's found reason to be like, oh, we don't like it anymore because, like, it's expanded beyond just agricultural land. It's no longer just about farmers. They moved the oversight from the agricultural minister to the environment minister. <laughs> and so now that it's not just the nationals being able to say they're for farmers, they're like, mm, nah. We don't like the environment. We like farmers. It's the wrong kind of green. It's 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 not yeah. nationals greed anymore. It's too much like our green. Exactly. That's the shade. <laughs> <laughs> wrong shade. Doesn't fit the style guide. So no Ooh, thanks. God. And meanwhile, the Teals, uh, they they negotiated some changes in the lower house. So um earlier this week it it passed the lower house with some amendments that were negotiated by I think Kylie Tink and Allegra Spender. Mm-hmm. Um, we can go into the detail of those amendments, but now they, the Teals are having a go at the Greens for saying that they won't necessarily wave the bill through in the Senate. They say that we are cutting off their nose to spite their face and, quote, blocking things that are important because they don't get everything they want. Great. So they're allowed to negotiate, make changes to the they bill, can but negotiate. if anyone else does, Not it's bad. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. It mm-hmm. um, makes a lot of sense. Yep. So do you understand how this bill works? How much do I explain? Not really. I do remember the announcement uh, talking about it. I remember the phrase Green Wall Street. I think it was It actually, uh, yeah, it sort of came through when I was writing the climate chapter of my little book and I remember and also I was trying to explain neoliberalism again, that wonderful dirty word, and it was just like the most blatant (laughs) embodiment, just like Mm -hmm. you could not get a more perfect example of financialising, commodifying nature and saying that's a good thing and that actually market forces will save the environment, yeah. which is on fire and dying because of market forces. Which has always worked. Always yeah, worked. Yeah, the I more capitalism, the better time. for nature, in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on. What does uh, the, the bill try to do? Well, the government says that this bill is going to incentivize private landholders to look after nature 
um, by helping them finance it. Basically, the government is like, we don't have enough money or we don't want to spend the money more accurately on protecting nature. And so we need the private market to do it. And so we will create these tradable certificates for projects that protect and restore biodiversity. So basically landholders, which could include First Nations people, conservation groups, governments, farmers, um, can apply for, quote, for these biodiversity certificates mm-hmm. and then it can sell them on this new market. Um, the, those certificates will be listed on a register. They can be sold to, you know, companies, philanthropists or governments. Mm-hmm. I wonder which sort of companies, for example, might be buying them. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know, mining corporations looking for offsets for their dodgy fucking projects. Right. And, and these an example, you know, a few examples the government gives as to what uh, kind of projects this could include would be things like fencing or weeding to protect, you know, native vegetation or, or habitat. It could be planting local plants, native plants. It could be protecting rare grasslands, stuff like that. Okay. And, and, and these are all private, the idea they're all private, either individuals or organisations that are doing the actual biodiversity yeah. protection okay all right on their own land on their yeah. own land okay gotcha yes they're like i own this land and on my land i'm going to do these things to protect nature mm-hmm. so i want the government to give me a certificate recognizing that mm-hmm. and then i can sell that certificate to someone for for un, unclear reason why they might want the certificate um, which is kind of where we get into the problem because it's like, yeah. well, the most obvious reason that anyone ever wants to buy one of those certificates is so that they can say that they've offset their harmful activity. <laughs> but the government insists this is not a bill about offsets. They're like, no, that is not the point of this of this bill. This okay. bill is about incentivizing good practices and nature conservation, but they can't really explain like, yeah, why, who was buying the certificates if not. <laughs> what is the value of the certificates? <laughs> So okay, so I, okay, so I I have Woodside right, and I I buy all these certificates and I just put them up on my wall. I get them framed mm. and I bring my you friends like around and I say, I say, look at this, guys, look at mm. all, look at all the great nature repair that's been going I just on. Wanna, yeah, that I yeah, support well. and endorse in my sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. that's right. Um, so <laughs> it's just I'm, yeah, it is kind of like it's it's a rerun of these. As you say, like uh, the commodification of nature, these markets to protect nature that we know never work. So the nature repair market, the idea in the bill is that it would be overseen by the clean energy regulator and work which oversees the current carbon market and it would work in a similar way. It's kind of modelled on that. The carbon market, which is getting rave reviews, endorsements left, yeah. right and centre, everybody crazy mm. about this carbon market, in no way is it dodgy. It's going really, really well and everyone loves it. Yeah, we should mm-hmm. do more of that. Yep. That's going to work well. Um, I found the the Australia Institute did a, a submission on this bill, which I found fairly instructive uh, and has a few choice kind of observations on the bill. They say that the existing carbon market in practice, facilitates industry greenwashing and the needs of the nascent carbon market industry through the production of low-integrity carbon credits generated by flawed measurement methodologies. Cool. And they say that effectively the fact that this this bill or this proposal is just based on that spells disaster. Yeah. Yeah. One of the problems with this kind of nature market generally is that it's hard to accurately and effectively measure biodiversity value and to do that in a cheap way. So either... You can't do it, especially if you are a smaller scale project or a smaller landholder. 
um, because you can't afford to. Or you say, well, I want to do this cheaply and then you do it shit. So you just use like desktop modeling instead of sending out an actual ecologist to assess it in the field. Mm -hmm. And that completely undermines the scheme's integrity. And we all know how dodgy, like how these offset offset schemes always end up just being fucking dodgy and they're not assessed properly. And that's one of the reasons why is that like it's kind of difficult to to do and then it just becomes expensive for anyone who wants to actually do it properly. Right. so, yeah, so coming back to this, this is the question that the Australia Institute, like, keeps raising. They're like, the government will not explain who is buying these certificates, who is going to buy them. Is it going to be the government or is it going to be these, these like, private actors um, who might be looking for offsets? Because the scheme is voluntary um, and no one can explain why these private landholders would choose to participate if there's not going to be any demand yes. for their certificates. Right. They're not going to invest in protecting their property if they're not going to then get paid for it effectively. Mm -hmm. The Australia Institute says, quote, generally, (laughs) generally private actors invest money in projects that offer the prospect of meaningful financial gain. Such projects (laughs) rarely involve private landowners' conservation efforts for the simple reason reason that improving or safeguarding native habitat does not generate profit. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Pretty fucking basic. They they talk about this. There's so there's a similar scheme apparently that has also met uh, intense criticism and been shown to be super fucking rotable and dodgy in New South Wales. The biodiversity offset scheme. Uh, but what that also shows is that that's a scheme that has like some compulsory elements and some you know people can voluntarily opt in. This scheme that's being proposed federally is completely voluntary. But in New South Wales, you've seen that really no one participates unless they're forced to. So, for example, developers who have to buy offsets to compensate for cleared land. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, And the only other way that like a lot of the time, so the carbon market, for example, is a lot of the time the government buying these certificates or these credits back through reverse auctions. Mm. But the government won't say whether they will be buying these certificates (laughs) And if so, how much they'll spend on that? Because that seems like that seems like the most likely. It seems like it'll be coal companies or developers buying things and also the government buying these. But they won't even tell us how much they're willing to spend on it. Yeah. Uh, and they're just kind of like, yeah, I, I think the Australian Institute referred to it as like shyly acknowledging <laughs> that there, there's a, it creates this kind of path for offsets, but consistently insisting that that's not the main objective of the bill. I think this this revolutionizes the whole concept of labor generally. Like just do things, do nice things. You get mm. a certificate for that and then the government buys your certificate and then you just get paid <laughs> for each individual task you do as a laborer. You don't need a full-time yeah. job with conditions and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. That's not what the modern labor no, party no, is no. about. No, no. Just do no. something good that we, that we agree as a society is a good thing. Get a little certificate. Go down to the certificate job money office and the government will mm. give you a little bit of money for that specific work that you did and then just repeat that again and again and again. Mm. And um, it's it's the giga, it's like the green gig economy. It's great. Yeah, and all of this, as always, with fucking Labor government initiatives to overcomplicate and, like, yeah, commodify something that is squarely the responsibility of a responsible fucking government, which is to protect the environment. environment. That's they your incentive. To, the environment yeah. being not not shit and on fire and not yeah, dying. So that that's a really good incentive, fucking, actually. Yeah. And we actually live, don't need to create yeah. a financial dollar value incentive to do that. We can say we want to protect the environment, please. 
Yeah, yeah. And they say, again, they keep saying, no, 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 that really is what this bill is about. And it's so fucked up that the Greens, it's in the name, the Greens want to oppose this when that's all we ever wanted. Um, And the Teals as well are like, why aren't you guys doing this? We care so much about the environment. Um, And we've we've moved these amendments. So Allegra Spender has these amendments that the government has agreed to in the lower house to force landholders to specify if the certificates that they get for protecting nature on their land can be used for offsets or not. But again, if you want someone to buy your certificates, which is the only reason that landholders would be incentivized to, you know, do these projects and get these certificates, then you're probably going to say, yeah, you can use these for offsets because that's where the market is going to be. Okay, and Allegra Spender doesn't want to stop certificates being used as offsets. We just need to say whether or not they mm. will be used as, as offsets. That's transparency. You know these teals, oh. they love transparency, accountability, integrity. Um, similarly, the same, yeah, so Kylie Tink's amendment is about transparency. She requ- They require activity reports of the regulator and annual reports about the purchases <laughs> of biodiversity certificates to be tabled in Parliament. So Wonderful. we can look at them and go, ah, oh, that was shit. <laughs> Ooh, pretty fucked, <laughs> but at least we know about it. No, no, at least no. we know. At oh, least we know. Um, the government also apparently amended the bill to ensure that statutory reviews include the performance of the regulator and clarify that the objectives of the bill include the goal of zero new extinctions. Interesting. So they're like, just to be clear, no, no, it really is about stopping extinction, even though nothing in the bill actually achieves that objective. We want right. to put in the bill that we want to do that. And, yeah, again, we want to tell you how shit it's going. Once again, reviews of the regulator, the reviews, the the energy regulator or the the regulator body overseeing Australian carbon markets have been found to be a shit show. Mm. And we found that out and we had the review and people like the Australian Institute has made that very clear with lots of evidence and nothing changes. But the, what the teals say is like, well, offsets are already happening. There's already nature certificates being traded and we don't have sufficient oversight. So like why not just pass this bill and have a bit more oversight of this shitty yeah. system? Good Lord. <laughs> so the underlying argument and probably what the Greens opposition rests on and what a lot of, you know, uh, environmental NGOs have been saying is that this does quite literally nothing to address the underlying drivers of biodiversity loss. It's effectively a distraction. Right. Um, again, quoting from the Australian Institute submission, there is a strong irony in the government justifying the need for the nature repair market by claiming that it cannot afford to fully fund conservation without private capital while directly subsidising the expansion of extractive industries like coal and gas projects, which mm. are contributing to biodiversity extinction in the first instance. Interesting. That's a bloody good point, I would say, because, yep. yeah, the government is like outsourcing its responsibility for protecting nature to the private market mm-hmm. while not actually changing any of the practices that are driving the extinction crisis, Yeah, which is where the Greens come in and are saying uh, effectively two major demands that first the government should ban native forest logging and two that there should be, as we've spoken about before, a climate pollution trigger in our federal environmental laws so that Climate impacts should be assessed under yes. the Federal uh, Environmental Regulation Act. Uh, too much to ask? I don't think so, no. I mean, we've just had the um, native forest logging was going to be banned and ended in Victoria. That recently came through 
uh, in the Victorian state budget and is a huge thanks to the extraordinary long-term campaigning of people like Ellen Sandell, the Greens more broadly, and the broader environmental movement in Victoria, including Friends of the Earth and all the, all the good people have managed to get that out of a Labor government, so that's fantastic. But, yes, we should not be logging native forests anywhere in this country, please. And the climate pollution trigger, we touched on it during the safeguard mechanism debate. It makes total sense. I think where did we end up with the safeguard mechanism that these new projects would have to be assessed through uh, through some or the, the effectively mm. the climate cap, the emissions cap that is going to be introduced through the safeguard mechanism is going to work as a sort of a, as a um, a climate pollution trigger in a sense when when it comes well, to approving yeah, new projects. Well, yeah, and I think but- new coal and gas projects would have to be like assessed against their impact on on the new safeguard mechanism. Yes. Yeah, the, the cap. Yeah, so that's there. Yeah. But no, if if this bill really is about repairing and protecting nature, then uh, why would you oppose the environmental minister being able to say that a climate pollution sh- uh, considerations should be factored into all new uh, fossil fuel projects? Seems pretty reasonable to me. Yeah, I think continuing to bang on, obviously, about coal and gas and a climate trigger uh, is important. I think it's interesting how little attention, you know, I feel these debates about biodiversity or nature protection really get these days from the Greens and Greens supporters because it's obviously like it's traditionally, you know, it's core business um, Mm. and it is important, but it's true that I I almost feel like, yeah, climate has just kind of consumed people who care about the environment are so overwhelmed with climate campaigning or caring about climate change that there's just the basic kind of please don't chop down as many trees or please do more to protect uh endangered species it feels less important because all of that's fucked anyway if we fuck mm. the climate yeah. i don't know if you saw there was there was this report it was uh, there was a story in the guardian about it the biodiversity council did this survey about people's attitudes to nature and it found that effectively people are far less aware of biodiversity loss than they are of of the climate crisis mm. in australia so for example only only 43% so less than half were aware that australia has one of the highest rates of mammal extinction in the world and just more than half knew most of australia's forests had been lost since colonization but 74% indicated that they understand global heating is having a direct impact on wildlife and ecosystems. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's all, I mean, it's all interrelated as well, right? Like, obviously, uh, logging plays a massive effect on habitat loss, yeah. which affects biodiversity, which also has a massive climate impact too. I yeah. completely understand the environmental movement sort of falling in behind and identifying climate as the number one existential threat to to nature and the environment, I think that's probably mm. probably pretty reasonable. And yes, because also the window, I mean, obviously every day you lose a habitat or, or you know, hand over natural beauty and environment to capitalism so it can make a profit is sad and bad, but the window for serious climate action to turn things around is ever closing, right, getting smaller and smaller every day. And so the urgency and the emphasis on that is pretty understandable from my point of view. Which is, yeah, well, I mean, and obviously there is this, I think, growing and urgent <sighs> tension in the Greens and in the environmentalist movement around the uh, renewable energy expansion or renewable energy infrastructure right. versus biodiversity impact question. Yep. I don't know how deep we've got into this before on the show, 
But it's certainly like front of mind as we see these massive renewables projects go up and, you know, uh, expansion of of electricity transmission infrastructure to yeah. to carry all of this this new energy, things like you know giant pumped hydro projects that are dams, which tradition like the Greens literally kind of founded on opposing yeah. dams, and yet there is also this thing that it's like as as you say, I mean climate is not it's it's the greatest threat to the environment, mm. um, and so it's really difficult to talk about how we approach that conflict when it does arise between renewable energy projects that may impact, you know, um, may impact native vegetation or, or, you know, forests or like might require a bunch well, of animal clearing. Animal populations, or like these wind farms. Impact animals. You know, yes, there are birds that fly to wind farms. Like, it's and, totally happening. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and and how do we talk about that and how do we balance it? Um, and clearly that's going to be an increasing problem as more and more of these projects progress. Mm. But coming back to it, I mean, yes, this nature repair bill is bad, probably no matter which side of that argument you fall on or uh, all those kind of considerations. I mean, rewilding, revegetation, taking care of land, encouraging people to do that, accessing First Nations knowledge, mm, bringing in great. people to look after that. This is all good stuff. The idea that you have to do it through a market mechanism yeah. uh, and that that will deliver us the best outcome is fucking bonkers and it's neoliberalism on steroids. And it and it absolutely has to be resisted. What is so? It's is, is progress just been stalled in the Senate now? Is it gonna? Is that been deferred to the next sitting session or what's? what's I think happen? that there's so. I think that there's a Senate report that's not due to come back until August, perhaps. Okay. Um. And so then after that report is back, then presumably it'll come back. Yeah. For for debate and vote in the Senate, and so we'll have to see what happens then. And I assume in the meantime the Greens will be. Um, pushing for, yeah, that ban on native forest logging and, and the mm. climate pollution trigger. And surely, it's, I mean, I don't know if there are kind of more detailed things that, that we're pushing for as well, but the fundamental thing, it's almost similar to the housing debate, right? That it's like instead of outsourcing it to, you know, gambling money on the stock market, for example, or, or right. um, outsourcing it to these grants that people have to fucking apply for, it's just directly invest money. And mm. there, it, it really only would be, according, there's like a Melbourne University paper um, scientists have estimated about $2 billion a year annually is, would be needed in investment to recover Australia's full list of, of threatened species. And that's significant, sure, but it's also, again, we look at the submarines, we look at the stage three tax cuts, like yeah. the money is there. If the government really wanted to invest in something this important, they could and surely we should be pushing for that and not this, uh, this fucking privatised, outsourced, commodified version. Here, here. Under the Wentworth Park viaducts, 67-year-old Richard Sharvin tells us he's not only the oldest homeless person here, but the longest in residence, 11 years. I prefer to be the unofficial Lord Mayor of the, of the place. <laughs> he's not worried about himself, but is desperately concerned about the young sleeping rough. I do. I see it every day. I see it every day. In growing numbers. You got to do something, something more, more, more for the young ones. You know, um, they can't start off like this. Yesterday, the government's ten billion dollar plan for thirty thousand affordable homes was stopped by the Greens, sparking outrage today. He's back, everyone. The student politician, Boy Wonder, Max Chandler Mather, friend of Max Serious Chandler Danger, Smith. Max Chandler Smith. <laughs> 
you see that from Rose Jackson who couldn't get your name right? That was yeah. Annoying. Oh well, you know, um, half of the course for this week, <laughs> more, I think. More personal attacks, hey Max. <laughs> <laughs> now, are right. you okay? Are you all right? It seems like a pretty intense week, but you go okay. Yeah, it was a big week, but um, I'm all right. A bit tired. Uh, I think it's. I've, a few people have asked me that, and my view is that's. Um, the nature of this response is what happens when you're trying to change things structurally in, fra- in favour of renters uh, and yes. change things in a way that disrupts um, sort of the way the housing system has worked up until this point, which is enriches the you know property developers and banks and powerful property investors. And so when you try to change that in favour of ordinary people, I think you're going to get pushback from the political class. Yes, it's probably absolutely. I would say probably a necessary part of real change. Mm. Yeah. Yep. You get the right people are worried. Uh, very mm. quickly before we dive into housing, two quick questions. Have you watched Friendly Geordie's video on housing and this podcast? And did you go to the Midwinter Ball? Uh, <laughs> no, is my answer to both of those things. Um, <laughs> uh, on the first one, um, haven't really found the time for it, um, although a, f- I'm sh- a few people I know have watched it. Uh, and on Midwinter Ball, no, it's not my cup of tea, really. Um, the, uh, <laughs> Although it is others, so you know, I, I'll, yeah. I'll try to avoid passing any commentary. Um, <laughs> Could have had, you know, on... a protest linen shirt yes. made up for, for yeah. midwinter ball. Real missed yeah. opportunity. I know protest chinos, yeah, something that's like that. Right. <laughs> protest thongs. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Like come in a Queensland outfit. I think if I did that mm. in camera, I would have died of exposure. But you would have been, yeah, frozen to, to absolute mm. Well, there's always next year, I suppose. Um, okay, developments. Since we recorded last week's episode, we went uh, deep on housing again last week too, but obviously, yes, massive week and a lot of things have happened since we recorded. On Saturday last week, the government announced its social housing accelerator funding, $2 billion in new direct funding that will be handed to states and territories within two weeks to deliver thousands of new social homes across Australia. They're going to use that money to build, purchase, or repair existing public housing stock. That's my understanding. And it all has to stay in government hands. They can't just repair it and sell it off. This is the the general pitch from the government. Um, I mean, good news. Where did they suddenly find all this money, Max? How should we feel about this new money? This is a good thing, but it's so crazy because I didn't think there was enough money. And why didn't they put it in a fund and use the returns to build more housing? What's going on there? Well, it shows pressure works, right? Like for months, we've been telling the government that the fastest way to build public housing is direct spending. Uh, And I can say definitely in meetings with them, they repeatedly told us there was no extra money in the budget. We're never going to be able to find any money in the budget uh, for housing. Uh, And I suppose after months of campaigning, it finally, pressure finally told and we won $2 billion for housing. I will say uh, it puts, it demonstrates just how deeply irrational their separate Housing Australia Future Fund is that, uh, like, it's even in the name, right? Like, they, they've, they've admitted that the fastest way to build housing, believe it or not, is spending money directly building uh, public housing, which they're doing now. And really the question is why not just do that every year? Uh, mm. It's sort of... Uh, and. You know, and certainly in the past, that's what federal governments did. Uh, but it is, it's satisfying that that money is being spent right now. And I think some of the media reporting during the week was deliberately or uh, dishonest. And certainly the government was implying that somehow the $2 billion was attached to the Housing Australia Future Fund. But yeah. important, well- important to know they were very separate. And, and actually <laughs> we won and supported the $2 billion. And what we're pushing back on is uh, Labor's Housing Australia Future Fund. 
This is the funny line that they're trying to walk, right? Because clearly, and I think they literally hadn't even figured out their messaging and what they wanted to run with when they made this announcement, whether it was, we have found a way to work around the Greens being obstructionists to deliver this funding through another mechanism, or they wanted to be like, we're compromising by delivering this $2 billion kind of as part of the half. And so the Greens need to now come to the table and pass the bill. And like both of those things directly contradict each other and they clearly have not been able to choose which one they want to go with. No, that's right. And the way they tried to solve that contradiction at the start of the week was just lie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, like they're like, well, we can't really deal with this. So what we're going to do is just lie to people and say the Greens are blocking housing. Um, when in fact it was sort of the opposite was the case. The Greens had got that $2 billion. Um, And yeah, and I think the other thing they really wanted to avoid was talking about why the Greens were still trying to negotiate on the Housing Australia Future Fund. Mm -hmm. And they did two things. One, they tried to imply that the Housing Australia Future Fund was essentially going to solve the social, like the lack of public housing, despite the fact they have still not made a single change to the fact that it still is only going to spend $500 million at most Mm. in from 2024-25 and then build less homes per year than the shortage of social and affordable housing increases every year. So, like, (laughs) it's still the case at the end of their five-year plan. Not only will it not do anything for renters, but the shortage of social and affordable housing will probably tick over 700,000 homes under their plan, uh, which... I, I, and it was interesting, and it, one of the frustrations, I think, is that the media still struggles to report things in a way that puts them in context. Yeah. Um, like, we, the Greens have just secured four times the amount of money that's going to be spent in two weeks on social mm. housing that the Housing Australia Future Fund plans to spend in a year. Um, <laughs> and, and and even that's a small amount of money. Like, and it's sort of bizarre that they never put it into context. Like they never say, well, how much money do you need to solve the social housing crisis? Yeah. Oh, $15 billion a year. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it's- or, you know, um, what happens when a private rent is evicted out of their rental? Like where do they go? Oh, probably yeah. on the queues for public housing. Yeah. Uh, and housing. how are we going to solve that? But there's an incapacity. All of it gets sort of contained in this political debate and stripped of all of its context. Uh, which I think most ordinary people eventually go looking for the context, but the media mm. class often struggle with it a bit with that, I think. Right, and it's all just completely rooted in um, the political fight, right? The it, it is framed in the idea of, like, there's the Greens win or the Labor's getting around Greens. So again, yeah, never returning to the actual issue facing people, which is this insane housing shortage and whether these policy moves are going to make a serious difference in it. Um, James Masola, this is insane to me. This is a direct quote from him. This is he works for the Sydney Morning Herald. We are not negotiating with student politicians. PM Albanese cuts out the Greens. Max Chandler Mather entirely offers $2 billion for new homes in addition to proposed housing fund, which the Greens are blocking. That is a direct quote from a, from a journalist saying that you're being cut out of the conversation entirely as the government proceeds to give more money, which is exactly what you were fucking calling for. Your response. Yes. Yeah, well, thankfully, I think over the course of the week, it was widely acknowledged that that $2 billion was secured by the Greens' pressure. I think, though, one of the things that um, no one followed that to its next logical step, which was the result of the Greens uh, refusing just to pass Labor's Housing Australia Future Fund and build this campaign to build pressure on the government to actually do something that at the very least touched the sides of the crisis. Well, that campaign had secured $2 billion dollars. Uh, but we'd also said we weren't going to pass it until we got something substantial for renters. And yes. surely the logical conclusion is, well, 
if it worked for the $2 billion, it stands to reason that the Greens would then use that strategy to push and get something real and material for renters. Uh, and all no, of a you should sudden, give up when you win, Max. When you win something, then you should give up immediately. That makes yeah. that's the most logical, <laughs> yeah. sensible, centrist thing to do. Well, yeah, and and also that they knew, like, it's hardly hid the fact that we had two demands, which is more direct funding for public and affordable housing, mm. and a national freeze on rent increases, or at least caps on rent increases. And and in terms of like again stepping back and looking at the scale, I mean, there's over eight million renters in the country. Uh, so, and 62% of them are already in financial stress. And so it stands to reason when the Reserve Bank of Australia says rents are going to go up even faster over the next 12 months that we would push to at least put some protections in place. But then the frustration was that often this, again, they don't look at the context. But the other thing they don't look at is they sort of occasionally bought into the government's line that, um, oh, and there's nothing we can do. But then similar <laughs> emeralds, your point around them walking this contradiction, they get... Labor get up in Parliament and say, oh, the Greens are crazy. It's impossible for the federal government to coordinate um, price caps on rents. But then they say, but uh, we are um, actually leading the conversation at National Cabinet <laughs> to talk about yeah. renters' rights. And then no one stops and says, hmm, I think actually a renters' rights is the limits on rent increases. That's literally one of the key rights for yeah. renters. You ask renters and- what they're stressed about, it's the yeah. rent going up rent- or getting kissed yeah. out. Those That's are the it. two things. Like, and literally, hey, the hey, body. you can have a pet in the house that you can't afford anymore because the rent's too high. What about pets, that? Max. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, look, you know, I, I you know, pets are good, but um, <laughs> yes, we should have enough pets. This is the crazy thing that national cabinet, chaired by the prime minister, who has just coordinated price caps on energy, um, who is now discussing renters' rights, and where eight of the nine seats on national cabinet are held by the Labor Party, yeah, and then. Labor often almost uncritically are allowed to prosecute this argument that what the Greens are pushing for is impossible, when in mm-hmm. fact not only has it happened before, but there's literally a discussion about renters' rights happening at National Cabinet right now. Yeah. Uh, and I think actually what's interest- interesting is over the course of this week, one of the ways the debate turned is increasingly that became clear that was an untenable line for the government to take, and they've started to speak <laughs> over and to try and explain the policy reasons why they're opposed to limiting rent increases, which... Great that they've been forced into that, though. Yes. Yes, Because that's exactly the problem. And, like, I think we want to get through, you know, a lot of the reactions and the takes, uh, the assessments of the Greens as, and, like, particularly you as, you know, doing student politics and putting politics ahead of people and, and of housing. And it's like, yeah, but what are the Greens fighting for? The Greens are fighting for improvements to, like, actually address the scale of the housing crisis. They're fighting for renters' rights. What is Labor fighting for to mm. not mm. do that? Like yes. you literally just have to, that's that's what the policy positions of both parties are. It's like, do you actually do something for renters or do you not? And yeah. I think what's so interesting, I was sitting in, in the office actually talking to, you know, one of my my colleagues, Abe, who obviously you know, Max, mm. this mm. week, but the, the fact that not that long ago the Greens were having a debate internally about, you know, oh, do we pick a side? Do we actually come out and say that we want to be for renters and stand up for renters knowing that there are a small number, you know, that there are property investors who will be materially impacted by that decision? Like we mm. know that if you limit the amount by which people can increase the rent, that's limiting the amount by the, the amount of money that that they can earn. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like I think it makes sense that there is going to be a real point of inflection when you get to talking about 
rent increases and limiting rent increases um, where you are potentially, you're really going to piss off a lot of people. I mean, and I, and I wonder if, I mean, I, I wonder, yeah, like do we alienate a certain number of people that might've been supporters of the Greens? But honestly, as you say, that's going to be an inevitable part of kind of, you know, reorienting um, a party position or really fighting for something. Some people are going to lose out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think this speaks to a broader way, again, that the context is stripped of these debates. Like in policy terms, um, we know what actually it takes to tackle the housing crisis. Uh, it's, mm. you know, phasing out the tax concessions for property investors. It's probably spending north of $10 billion a year directly building uh, government-owned public housing uh, and it's uh, proper rental regulation. And obviously that's not what the Greens were pushing for in, this, uh, in, in our negotiations. And mm. Labor's position was literally basically the status quo. Like if you, their plan was no rental regulation, no changes to capital gains or negative gearing and locking in at most $500 million a year when they're spending on average $12 billion a year on the nuclear attack submarines. Yeah. And it shows that demonstrates the power that governments have to set the terms of debate. Because in policy terms, on the one hand, Labor was vicious increase in poverty and stress for people. And the mm. Greens' position was at least not make it worse. And then over here on the other side was what you actually need. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and all of a sudden it became, well, oh, no, the government has this reasonable position of driving millions of people into financial stress. And the Greens' unreasonable position of maybe we should spend um, at least like, uh, you know, $2.5 billion or $5 billion at the start on building public and affordable housing every year, even though that's a third or less of what we actually need, and some rental regulations so rents don't just go up by an unlimited amount in the middle of the worst rental crisis in generations. Mm. And uh, as he said, Emerald, it, uh, that's what the Greens' position was. And the Labor's mm. position continues to be less money on housing and nothing for renters. Mm. Uh, and the reason we're sticking our necks out is because, uh, A, uh, it's now clear that uh, applying pressure can achieve results for people. There are going to be thousands of people who move into public housing as a result of the fact that the Greens held out and pushed for real money as opposed to maybe fake money that comes from a gamble on the stock market. Mm. And so, um, and then all of a sudden the debate, this it draws into this political debate over oh, the Greens being unreasonable or like this is all about the politics and strip that all the way. And it's like one side wants something for renters and more for housing and the other side wants less and, and, yeah. and pump more money into the hands of property investors. So... I think actually that what's starting to tell now is a lot of ordinary people are paying attention and going, oh, hang on, I know whose side I'd like to be on yeah. in this debate. What's this fight actually about? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, just thinking, so at the start of the week, uh, the debate was deferred and this this is what set off this massive uh, people losing their minds. So we deferred debate in the Senate for another vote on the housing bill until October the 14th or 16th, I believe. 16th. 16th, okay. Right. And uh, you you guys teamed up with the Coalition and One Nation in order to achieve that. Is that a the fair representation of, of what happened in the Senate? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw them call the Axis of Evil. I wasn't sure if they were <laughs> referencing World War Two or um, George Bush. Um <laughs> But no, it's um, us. Yeah, um, if they were referencing uh, which, George Bush, it's like the the most the biggest self own in the world. The Axis of Evil speech was like an absolute disaster and a travesty performed by an idiot. So you really want to wheel that shit out again, really? Well, also just I mean they keep accusing the Greens of playing politics and like they're often the people that resorted to that sort of frankly sort of childish rhetoric were uh, the government. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean so yeah, what happened at the start of the week was we had said to the government that. 
uh, again and again that we needed something substantial on limiting rent increases. And the reason we deferred debate until October 16th is that is after National Cabinet reports back on their process of determining what will happen with national renters' rights, including limiting rent increases. And so we made clear to the government privately and publicly that what we would want out of this negotiation is a is a good outcome at those national cabinet meetings. So I think a few people were wondering, well, why did you pick October 16th as a date? And that's because uh, that's basically will be hopefully only a few days after national cabinet reports back. And so our point to the government was that is a key determinant on whether or not we support the Housing Australia Future Fund. Mm. And so we want to give time for that process to work out and for the Greens to feed into that. I mean, at the same time, we've actually managed to get up this country, Australia's first ever Senate, national Senate inquiry into the rental crisis. And that will have an interim report back date of September 23rd. So we hope that actually that inquiry will be able to build up a lot of evidence with that inquiry to help provide the evidence base and foundation for any uh, feed-in process into national cabinet. But I mean, at the end of the day, ultimately, this is a decision for the Labor government. The Prime Minister could go to national cabinet and put real money on the table and say, you know what? Time's up. We all need to work out how to limit rent increases and find a way to cap, agree to some national caps on rent increases. Mm. And they know, by the way, like there's a lot of states and territories that know the only way we're getting substantial caps on rent increases across the country is if it does happen at national cabinet and led by the federal mm. government because every state and territory will then get nat- cover from the federal yeah, government they don't and won't go face alone. the attacks that they're worried about from the real estate industry because it will be a national effort and no one will be able to be divided up and picked off. Mm. Um, so the, that's the other political reality here is the only way we're getting caps on rent increases, really, real ones, uh, is if we do get what the Greens are pushing for. Nationally coordinated. And it's so funny yeah. to, I mean, it's like whatever you want to say about the Labor Party, they're nothing if not disciplined internally and to argue that yeah that federal labor couldn't simply come in and and you know push these state governments to introduce rent caps coordinated through national cabinet is just completely denying ignoring the reality of the labor party they absolutely could yeah i know exactly and also again i I think a, a question i wish that um was pursued more in the media that i start to ask those basic questions like yeah um, hang on, eight of the nine seats on National Cabinet are held by the mm. Labor Party. Yeah. Didn't and also didn't the Prime Minister just coordinate caps on energy prices that required state legislation? And didn't clearly part of the way that they were able to coordinate that was by leveraging their connections to their various state different Labor Parties? And didn't they also do that by putting money on the table? And I, I just think that it would be useful uh for uh, um interrogating actually the practice. Because I think once we get over that hump, what Labor is trying to I think to avoid- they're too busy interrogating you, Max. Yes. Yeah, Just well. based on that 7.30 interview. <laughs> well, Sarah, yeah, Sarah Ferguson brought this up and it was, I, you know, I don't know, you don't need to go into how shitty the, the media is that is circumstance, or you can if you like. We watched that interview. I thought it was pretty wild. I like an aggressive interview. An ABC journalist should interrogate their guest, whatever stripe their political um, background is, and they should challenge your port, your points and the lines that you're making. But what happened mm. is that often you would, you would respond to her question, should class clarify something, like like, determine the truth and then move on without giving a chance to response, which was frustrating. But she was saying that the gas um, example is not a good one because there was Mm. no question about gas supply when it came to the energy prices. Where do you get that from? There's absolutely an argument. Like surely the parallel is that there is a question of of, some people will argue there's a question of supply. Some people will argue that that's actually not the most significant consideration. Like. Yeah, at the time in the interview, I thought about pushing back, but there was just so much to deal. 
I would argue <laughs> Where, things that yeah. weren't necessarily true that I had to deal with. Look, and I agree, Tom, like I'm always out, like I enjoy tough interviews because I think if you can prove that your ideas and arguments stand up under scrutiny, it builds confidence in them. But mm. I think that point in particular was frustrating because it was made as a statement of fact. And actually, mm-hmm. if you go back and look at the debate in the lead up to the introduction of caps on energy prices, Santos and the entire Liberal yes. national opposition were saying one thing, this is going to affect supply. Yeah. Supply, so yes. actually, it is completely comparable. And yes. one of the things that happens when you do go to introduce caps on prices that will affect the profits of uh the uh, you know, in particular, the property industry, or in this, or in the gas industry, is every time they will rely on the argument that uh, this will reduce supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, a, um, there was no interrogation of the fact that there's not any super clear evidence that that's the case on caps on on rents, nor is it there at caps on on gas. But actually. Um, it was sort of the opposite of uh, what was stated on that 730 report. They're completely comparable. And what's interesting is if you interrogate it, what is interesting is, of course, the uh, people with a direct financial interest in unlimited price increases are going to make political arguments against them. Yes. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, there are some interesting are parallels, we? aren't there? Yes, yeah. imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. And, and that was frustrating. That, was, that bit was frustrating because I think there was another point in the interview as well Um where I made the point that 640,000, the shortage of social and affordable housing is 640,000 mm. and pushed back, you know, and Sarah Ferguson pushed back. And again, I don't mind being pushed back on, but this argument, oh, that that number is disputed, but at the very least it's in the hundreds of thousands. When the reality is, if you look at the evidence and data, uh, actually the number is probably a lot more than 600,000. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that's a conservative estimate. And actually yeah, that's great. the number accepted by the Community Housing Association and in conjunction with the University of New South Wales, it's the most detailed and accurate look of the shortage of social and affordable housing in the country. Uh, and so I think there's, um, I think it would have been good to have time to hash that out. But again, I think um, it does demonstrate, I think, the power the media have, again, often to state things as fact um, mm-hmm. without necessarily interrogating uh, what actually the reality behind that is. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean... Uh, I, in the end, uh, weirdly enough, we got a lot of good feedback about that seven thirty report because I think people yeah. instinctively understood that that was a very oh, um, intense it, interview, um, I don't know but, how you but could, useful yeah. in a way. Yeah. yeah, like how anyone could really come away from that not being like, geez, that was a bit weird. And I know like it's not a great use of our time to talk about how shitty the media are on this <laughs> when there's so much like policy substance to go into. But I did just think it was interesting you know, I think at one point you said in this interview, um, well, I don't, you know, I'm not going to negotiate live on air with you, Sarah, <laughs> as she's just trying to, and, and that's the thing, like, I think it's really interesting to see the media almost trying to conduct these negotiations on behalf of the parties in play here. Like, and you really yes. have the major media outlets like the ABC effectively negotiating on Labor's behalf right. for yes. like the Greens to pass this bill. Um, well, you have the safeguard as well. It's like, you're going to vote for it, though. Mm. You're not going to vote it down, though. You're going to vote for it, right? You're going to vote for it. You're going to vote for it. Yeah. It's like, what, what, do you, yeah. what do you get out of this? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, look, Emma, on that, I didn't I didn't mind, like, I don't mind that line of questioning from the media because I think what they're attempting to do there is Labor, we know, are backgrounding and telling people, oh, the Greens are being mm. intransigent and they're not negotiating. And so the media want to interrogate that point. Yeah. And so, like... Um, it is funny though, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's interesting that it, the pressure was always on the Greens to concede, um, mm-hmm. and it's never really on the government 
um, to concede. Uh, but, you know, they always set the terms. Uh, although I think that started to shift. Part of the reason we got that $2 billion is because it increasingly became clear Labor wasn't budging at all. Yeah. And I think that will become clear on rents, by the way, increasingly, as we've won the argument that it's mm-hmm. possible for the federal government to do this. Uh, and now the question is, what are they going to do, which is starting to shift. But yeah, I mean, we've obviously been, like anyone paying attention, it's obvious we've been incredibly conciliatory. Um, yeah. And then on the question of, like, I mean, to a fault, right? Like there's, I've certainly copped some criticism mm. of being too um, conciliatory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but can't win, right? But And I think on the question <laughs> of like, will you vote it down? I mean, my answer to that is always, of course, that's a possibility. Like you don't go into a negotiation with, yeah, a, with another side and say, otherwise there's no leverage between, between you and me. We're passing this regardless of what you do. Like you're not going to get yeah. anything for anyone if you do that. Yeah. 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 Um, there were, we do have some allies in the media. I did enjoy Jim Chalmers tweeted out his wonderful little clip about how the Greens care more about retweets than renters and more, more about TikTok than housing stock. Yes, Queen. It rhymes. So you're kind of fucked, <laughs> Max. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Ross Gittins, the economics editor at the SMH, uh, quote tweeted this saying, sorry, Jim, that's self-serving propaganda. What the Greens care about is real action on housing, not just what the political duopoly wants to give, the mere appearance of action. Go off, King. Absolutely great. Then Labour MP Josh Burns replied to that saying, this is a very political statement from a media outlet. Would expect it from others, but not the SMH, to be honest. Basically snitch-tagging him to his bosses. Yeah. <laughs> and being like, oh, he, yeah. oh, Ross Gittins writes opinion pieces all the time and he's just calling out your dumb party's bullshit, mate. Just deal with it, well, Joshy boy. Yeah, and I, and I think on that notable exceptions of media, what, what has been notable is um, – as a result of a lot of work, there are sections of the media actually that have, I think one of the reasons we've been able to turn this debate around, uh, at least at that level, is that some sections of the media are starting to ask like the right questions uh, or like pausing and thinking about it for a bit. Yeah. Uh, and um, that has helped. But I think also uh, Labor aren't used to facing that level of scrutiny. Yeah. Um, mm. They're used to being able to just run lines and um, it'd be, re- you know, reported as fact. Uh, and that line, the, like the gr- Labor's line is clearly twofold. One, it's the sort of um, like the Greens are just running this as a political campaign uh, without and and being deliberately obtuse and lying and refusing to look at any of the details of the argument uh, or debate. Uh, and two, they're saying, oh, you know, this is just, a, you know, in a similar vein, a cynical ploy on the on behalf of the Greens. And, and if anyone actually looked at it seriously, they know that wasn't true. And the irony is it's sort of the reverse. Like Labor knows full well that the Housing Australia Future Fund is not going to do anything to tackle the housing crisis. <laughs> um, but they run around pretending like um, this the, the vote on this being delayed until October 16th is going to see the sky fall in. Uh, mm. And... And but I think the problem for them, the problem for them is the more they heighten up that rhetoric, the more people are going to go and interrogate it and work out actually that Labor are uh, uh, are not exactly telling the truth. Yeah, should we just clarify that point? Because again, this was a big attack line. Once the Greens made the decision to delay the housing vote, Housing Minister Julie Collins was saying every day that this is delayed is one point two million dollars not spent on housing, shovel ready projects, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of bullshit going there that I'd love to hear you clarify, but also. Like, you know, acknowledging the fact that, yes, this parliamentary fight may involve some delays to the building of some housing, but that's a price that is worth paying for the broader fight of what we're, what we're actually going for. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. There's two points that are really frustrating on that, and maybe I'll deal with the, the first really broader meta point. It is morally repugnant to run that line if you were the government and you just proved that if there's homes to build, you can appropriate money out of the budget and build them right now. Right. Like, 
they've just appropriated $2 billion to spend on housing. Now, if there are other projects out there that they claim are being held up because they don't have money right now, well, you're the government and you can appropriate <laughs> more money to build them. There's a $4.2 billion budget surplus. The rea- and again, worth interrogating this, if that is true, which I don't think it is, uh, then what they're doing is holding those people to ransom in an attempt to make a political point on the Greens. Mm. Like that's the moral mm. clarity of this. On the one side, you have the government with the power to spend billions of dollars right now. Maybe instead of $2 billion, why not make it $4 billion right now? Or mm. what Rudd did during the GFC and spend $5 billion right now. Uh, but no, and, and the idea that these that there might be some housing projects out there that are being delayed and they're coming to the government and saying, well, uh, we don't have money right now, so they're delayed. And instead of the government saying, great, we'll appropriate some extra money and spend that on them, um, we're going to turn around, not give you any money and try and use it as a way to bash the Greens. And again, the temerity of the government to claim and Labor to claim that somehow the Greens are the ones being political in that instance is ridiculous. On the technical aspects... The Housing Australia Future Fund, as written out by by the letter from the housing minister to us and released publicly, says that they can guarantee $500 million from 2024-25, that financial year. Uh, The second thing to note is we know that the fund will not build a single home until 2025. Like in the the months between now and October 16th, they're not going to start design start the construction of a home and finish it by October 16th. Uh Um, And the final thing to say is we know how slow this version of housing funding is, which is not direct spending. It's these bizarre complex contracts that take sometimes years to negotiate to get a single home off the ground. We know because Queensland has their housing investment future fund um, that was set up in 2021 and it has still not built a single home. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it turns out the reason, and this is the key reason, this, like, this is the underlying thing that uh, has been forgotten. The reason Labor set up the $10 billion Housing Australia Future Fund, which gambles money on the stock market and only spends returns, is because they do not care about housing. They yeah. do not care about housing. <laughs> because what they wanted was the appearance of Labor spending $10 billion on housing, even though they're not. Uh, they're only spending up to $500 million a year in 12 months' time. And you, you know what they do care about because the nuclear submarines, there's not a nuclear attack submarine future fund. There's just money being spent directly out of the budget on nuclear attack submarines. There's not a hospital's uh, future fund. Uh, it's, they spend money directly funding hospitals. And nor is there a public school's uh, future fund. So I, I think there's this idea that somehow for some bizarre reason people just take the government's word that the only way to fund for housing is this bizarre mechanism when in the past uh, what we know is that the fastest way to build homes is spend it directly, which is a point the Greens have been making for a long time. So it's a really morally repugnant line and probably the most morally repugnant is they start and get up and talk about domestic violence victims. I mean, mm-hmm. the reality is there'll be more domestic violence victims waiting for housing under the government's plan. Like the shortage is 640,000 social and affordable homes. There's a good portion of those that people are at risk of domestic violence. And the government could lift them out of that if they froze rent increases yeah. uh, and reduce the cost of private rentals and built enough homes for them to move into. But the reality is they're going to leave 99% of them behind. All the fucking gall of this government saying that the Greens want to keep people living in poverty when they're keeping people in poverty by keeping our like welfare payments below the poverty line. They just did that. They yeah. just they just literally did that, keeping people mired in poverty. They could change that immediately. They could find that money to lift people above the poverty line, but they choose not to. These motherfuckers. 
Well, on the one hand, I mean, this is another contradiction. I think, Emerald, your point at the start is a good one around the contradiction. Like, you keep finding these contradictions in their argument. On the one hand, the Greens are this all-powerful force that are basically <laughs> responsible for the major structural economic flaws in the Australian economy. Or on the other hand, we have no power and can't change anything. Yeah. Like, you sort of have to pick a lane. Um, <laughs> and uh, the reality is it's probably closer to we don't have nearly as much power as the government. Yep. And um, as you said, Tom, they just announced a budget that like deliberately kept people in vicious poverty uh, and locks in $30 billion a year on the stage three tax cuts that could have been spent on building on probably the largest post-war build of public housing in Australia's history. Mm. And that's the other point. Uh, even the master builders is going around saying, hey, the private construction industry is in massive decline and it's freeing up all these skills and construction materials we could put to work building public housing actually. Yeah. And the government's choosing not to do it. Yeah. Uh, and and um, there's no interrogation of that. They, there's just this sort of political, there's this, this broad, not, all, not across all the media admittedly, but sections of it that, oh, what the government says goes. Uh, and there shouldn't be no pressure or scrutiny on the fact that they're making political choices that unnecessarily keep a lot of people in poverty. Yeah, because this is what I think, like, it kind of boils down to and, you know, Speaking to other Green supporters this week, obviously you start to like when we're under such kind of vicious attack, obviously it starts to feel scary and it starts mm. to feel shit. Mm. Um, but I think that the level of positive response from outside the party, like from ordinary people who are watching this, mm. is what keeps you assured that you're doing the right thing. And I would love to hear like what you're getting on that front, Max, because I think what this boils down to is it's like who is Labor talking to in the decisions that they're making. And I think because they're only talking to themselves, they're only talking to themselves and their friends in the same media and political class, which is why they're just banding around these kind of like circular and confusing arguments that are just designed to respond to what's in the media cycle at the moment. Whereas the Greens have actually gone out and spoken to ordinary people who are being impacted by the housing crisis. And that's what's driving our response. And that's the fundamental difference. Yeah, I mean, we've been overwhelmed with positive responses, actually, and quite moving ones, to be honest. Like, it's often hard in this context to remember the human consequences of this, but yeah. there's a lot of stories that stick out. Um, they're probably the most moving one for me was a, um, this. someone messaged us on Instagram. Um, she's just in year 10, um, and she was like, oh, um, I've started following you because um, how our business editor played your TikTok speech, like our business class, like to like talk about the budget. And so, Aww. but um, but the reason I got interested is because um, my mom has a disability and um, we've been, we keep being evicted out of our private rentals. And um, we're like, I haven't, like right now, we're basically like sleeping on some people's couches and I haven't seen my dogs for four, four months. And the reason I'm following you is because if our if we had had protection from a rent increase, I know my mom could have stayed in her home. Uh. And um, she just messaged, keep going. Like in the number of people that are just like, they see yeah. that we're under pressure and they're like, no, like, please. And like almost begging us to keep going yeah, um, and keep up. pushing. Yeah. And, um, and this is where it comes down. It's a material issue. Like the reality is that ordinary people get it. Like they uh. fundamentally get it. They understand that the government has the power to do things to make their lives better. Like they do understand that there's no reason why the rent should go up by as much as a landlord wants. Like uh. no fundamental reason. And they also get that often politics doesn't really work for them. 
And so when they see uh, a group of people in parliament, you know, copping a lot of <laughs> um, <laughs> flack uh, and, st- and standing up for them and knowing that there's actually a possibility of getting something out of them, like the reality is that uh, they know which side that people are on in that argument. And, look, I mean, we've um, – I was door knocking in, uh, in Woodridge, which is in Jim Chalmers' electorate, uh, and there were people there um, who you already knew about it. And the moment you tell, talk to them about it, like, oh, no, tell me where to sign. Like, I completely support your position. Mm. Um, the crazy thing actually, perhaps the most uh, remarkable, was I ran into this guy at the airport in Canberra flying back and he was like works in the service sector and he was working with a bunch of rough sleepers and low-income households in Canberra. Like he'd come down for some um, project. And he was like, he just came up to me out of the blue and was like, you've got to keep going. Like I know you, you're copying a lot at the mm. moment, but even the rough sleepers are talking about this fight and they know oh. and they're just uh, and like they're following it closely because it it, it matters for them. Uh, and they're like, no, keep going. Like what the government's offering up is, up is bullshit. Oh. And um, there's this room, I think um, there's an undercurrent occurring right now that I don't think necessarily all of the media and certainly the Labor Party don't mm. recognise, which is there's yeah. a, What's happened with this debate is people's expectations have been raised for the first time in a while and they're like, uh. oh, no, there's some people in Parliament saying that actually I don't have to live in unnecessary abject poverty. Um, and and all of a sudden they think, oh, well, maybe there's a chance I don't have to live, live in this abject poverty. Like maybe I don't have to cop an unfair rent increase so I don't have to live in anxiety about being evicted onto the streets. Uh. And that has a big impact. And, look, um, you know, it's not as if we're going to try, the Greens are going to not pass the Housing Australia Future Fund unless we get everything we want. But we've been forced into a position now where we're always saying is what we want is for the thing not to get much, much worse. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden that's become the radical position, uh, <laughs> and, which I think speaks a lot more, frankly, about the Labor Party than it does about anything else. Yeah. We better wrap it up, but uh, just the last couple of quick questions. A lot of noise about this double dissolution trigger, this idea that oh, the, yeah. the Senate not passing the bill counts as the Senate rejecting the bill. If the Senate rejects a bill twice, then the government can call a double dissolution uh, election, which to basically like either a half Senate or a full Senate election. I assume that that is all bullshit and that's almost certainly not going to happen. Oh, is that right? It's complete nonsense. I mean, um, although telling that, the government is indicating that they rather than spend a few extra billion dollars on public housing mm. and coordinate limits on rent increases, they would rather, uh, <laughs> like, go to a double dissolution election. Yes. Who's playing politics again? Sorry? Yeah. Who's, and, who's and, not prioritising uh, building housing for people? Sorry? And if you want a sign of whose side the Labor Party are on, then maybe that's a good one. Like, they are fighting. Look, the Labor Party are fighting, but they're oh, fighting yeah. for the interests of property investors <laughs> and property developers. Like, they are – look – Credit to them. Like they're putting yes. up a big fight to keep as many people as possible in poverty. Um, but I think that they would face electoral consequences for that. Look, on the technical aspect of it, for a double dissolution election to happen, the Senate needs to reject a bill. Yep. They need to wait three months. The bill then needs to go back to the House, be passed mm. in the House and come back to the Senate and be rejected again. That's obviously not what's happened. No. What's happened mm. is the bill has passed the House, it has come to the Senate, and the Senate has said we want to defer it based on the outcome of a thing crucial to the negotiations and the ultimate passing of the bill. So, no, I, it's bluster from the government, and I don't actually think um, anyone's necessarily taking it uh, super seriously. Oh, but the, you know, the breathless commentary, it's so exciting. For <laughs> yes, it's, it's inside of- baseball stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and lastly, yeah, what's the strategy between now and and that date in October? What else can people listening to this podcast do? What can Green members do? What can Green supporters do to help um, keep this fight up and um, and and get involved with the campaign? I assume people can will be able to make submissions to this inquiry that you got up to the. To the yeah, big time. We want as many. We'll we'll provide a way to do that. But if you're a renter and you've got a story to tell, please please make a submission. We'll make that available. The other thing is we're going to be building up the door knocking campaign. And Laban like to pretend that's a bad thing, but we're doing it because we know that it applies <laughs> pressure that gets material outcomes for people. So, of I course, think we what, could- I mean, when Labor are like, like I think obviously it's twofold, it's them trying to frame yeah. the Greens as putting politics ahead of people. But also every time Labor is like door knocking is bad, they're really showing their cards. <laughs> it's the same as it's like they're like, oh, you're putting TikTok ahead of, you're putting reels ahead of people. Mm. And it's like noted Labor wants us to stop doing good social media. No, yes. Labor would like us to stop knocking so we know exactly what is working and what is scaring them. So we're going to do more of that. Thanks. Yeah, well, that's right, and it, and it's for twofold as well, isn't it? It's like mobilizing people so they can fight in their own material for their own material interests, uh, which is weird, by the way, for the political arm of the trade union movement to get angry about mobilizing people to fight for their material interests. I would have thought mm. that's a pretty one of the only reasons the trade union movement exists. But anyway, putting that aside. Not like um, that. Not like that. Don't do it like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not effectively is what they don't like. Um, um, and then the second thing is it allows us to actually properly represent people. Like one of the mm. reasons we're still standing up on this is because we know over 80% of people we talk to say keep going. So I would yeah. say a functional, like good representative democracy involves a political party asking what the people want us to do. Um, and I know what the Labor Party wants us to do and sections of the media and property developers want us to do. It's just that's not who we're going to listen to. Um, yeah. And so I think we'll also be organising some, hopefully some large um, protest actions uh, as well. And uh, we'll be fine. And you'll basically, we're also having a housing town hall meeting um, in a few days' time. We'll be letting people oh, know. Oh, that'll be tomorrow, help. yeah. So this comes yes. out on Sunday. Yeah, right, right. It's right. on Monday night, right? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. So you can just find it on my website or, or, or socials. Uh, and so you'll be able to sign up to volunteer if you if you want to uh, sign up to um, put up some yard signs in your front yard. Uh, there's going to be a variety of ways. And really, uh, my plea to everyone is you get involved now. Like the reality is that the Greens numbers in the Senate uh, alone are not going to be what gets us real caps on rent increases. But we have the the best opportunity in Australia's history since there were proper national rental regulations to get actual caps on rent increases. And let me tell you, even if we don't get a freeze on rent increases, but we get some form of real cap on rent increases, mm. that will fundamentally change the lives of millions of people, Yeah, millions of people. And there is a small little slither of hope right now, a little opening, uh, and the only way we're bashing through that little opening is as many renters around the country get involved right now because this is like the reality is this is a this is a a, um, a, conf- a conflict now where on the one side you have the Labor Party, large property investors, property developers, and banks, and then on the other hand you have a, a motley crew of kooky greenies and uh, <laughs> as many renters as we can possibly mobilize uh, and. Uh, the vast majority, I think, of the country is sort of on our side. Really, the question is how many of them can we mobilise in enough mm-hmm. time? And again, bottom line, to get a material outcome and improve the material lives of millions of people. I know Labor don't like that, but I would argue that is the principal aim of organising in politics. 
How dare you say this? How dare you? This is the, this is ridiculous. Get the hell off our podcast. Uh, we love you, Max. Thank you very much for your time, man. And yes, keep going. We say serious danger says keep going. But also yes. sleep a little bit. Yes, and yeah. watch the friendly Geordies video. We want to hear your thoughts. Nah, but, don't. I, I just I watched it. You don't have to. I have one day off actually, which is tomorrow. So maybe I'll spend my day doing that. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Thanks, Max. That was tremendous as always. Yeah. And glad to hear you're doing all right. Action, please. What should people do, Emerald? People can support Blockade Australia. I will say I'm torn on this because <laughs> I question the merits of the Brisbane actions of Blockade Australia in particular, mm-hmm. but they've been active across the country this past week. Were they also doing stuff last week or was it just it's just been mostly this week, hey, where they've been blocking coal ports in Melbourne, Newcastle, Brisbane? some pretty cool direct actions and just like keeping it going and kind of in defiance to these anti-protest uh, laws that the governments have been passing across the country and, and being like, fuck you, we're still going to go and climb on top of a, of a coal train and block a port and live stream it. Uh, the government doesn't like that. <laughs> no, no. Labor Premier Chris Minns collaborating with Meta to stop protesters broadcasting their protest via social media. I can't wait for the Friendly Geordies video about how Labor mm. Party hates freedom of speech on that particular yeah. front. I'm sure it's coming oh, yeah. down the pipe. I'm sure that will be coming very soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we've spoken before, like, disruptive protest is it fucking works. It is necessary when governments won't listen. Direct action works. Um, it's very important. I think my hesitations about the Brisbane action is they basically blocked the road to the Port of Brisbane, Mm. which doesn't have any actual impact on coal, which comes in and out on trains and does impact effectively all other, you know, just people trying to offload containers for other shit at Brisbane. And yet because it's so far out and they had a honestly really kind of shitty uh, media messaging that did not make it clear at all that they were against coal and trying to stop coal and gas it was like you shouldn't you don't have to pay the government taxes the government doesn't it was just like anyway almost like sovereign citizen <laughs> there's a bit of modern monetary theory in there oh that's interesting it was it was like sobsit vibes honestly <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit yeah it was not it was not good and like it's a decentralized organization this kind of this all happened i think that yeah, the, the other happen, actions yeah. are better You've seen this Extinction Rebellion try stuff that does and doesn't work yeah. when it's ordinary people yeah. organising. You know, these yeah. things are going to happen and some of the actions aren't going to work. In Newcastle, I think it's, you know, the, the actions are pretty pretty fucking strong and solid mm. But and more broadly. I mean, there's this big argument and we probably should spend more time at some point on the show looking at just how dire these anti-protest laws are yeah. and the kind of crackdowns that we're seeing. Um, and regardless, even if you think they're annoying. I was trying to write some stand-up about it this week. These people are both heroes and they, they can be annoying, all right? A lot yeah. of heroes are and going to be very annoying. at the same time. At the same time. Yeah. Most heroes, you know, Jesus would be very annoying to hang out with us. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, they've got a fundraiser. If you've got some cash to spare, we know money's tight at the moment, but, you know, supporting their fundraising to cover uh, legal fees and solidarity funds and stuff to help their organising is always important. Also, if you, you know, are interested in going along to, they run info sessions and training sessions about other actions you can do, Extinction Rebellion do the same. 
Um, but yes, good lord, the right to protest against the end mm. of life on this planet is seriously under threat. Kind of important. Overwhelmingly, Labor governments uh, that has to be resisted. So we'll put the Blockade Australia support fundraiser in the show notes if you want to uh, sling them some cash. Have a look at that. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Serious Danger AU. You can find all the info at SeriousDangerPod.com. That's where you'll also find the link to the Patreon. Um, if you want to become a subscriber and hear your name at the top of the show, like those lovely friends that we spoke about just before, it's only three bucks a month or whatever else you want to throw Mike the Griff Griffin's way and you get access to the full back catalogue of bonus episodes and cool shit and you make us happy. Number one. That's the main thing. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Love you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Serious danger.